Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talks podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Imagine having experienced mentors with decades of wisdom delivered right to your ears. On this podcast, we'll talk about things like purpose, legacy, love, influence, sex, success, wealth, and so much more. Don't forget to leave us a review if you've enjoyed what you heard. Subscribe and join the other thousands and thousands of changemakers in our community on Facebook or go to www.mantalks.com for more blog posts, podcasts, and videos from our live event. Joining me today is Vanessa Van Edwards. Now, Vanessa is a behavioral investigator and the national best-selling author of Captivate, Using Science to Succeed with People. She is also a corporate speaker, a body language trainer specializing in science-based people skills, and she runs the Science of People, a human behavior research lab in Portland, Oregon, where she studies things like charisma, influence, and the power of body language. So uh, Vanessa is a really cool guest. She's got some great insight uh, into body language and facial expressions. And on this episode, we're going to dive into the science behind body language. We're going to talk about learning how to read facial expressions uh, to better understand people. We're going to talk about how your body language and your facial expressions might be impacting your success or how people perceive you as a a success or not. Uh, And we're going to talk about something called micro expressions and uh, really dive into how these micro expressions are really like the keys to confidence and charisma and how we can start to develop confidence and charisma, whether we're introvert, whether we're extrovert, in a very congruent way that'll allow us to show up more powerfully in any social situation. So this is great for business. This is great for your love life. This is great for your friends and your family. Uh, It's really some really, really cool and uh, great tools to use. So Before I bring her on, I just want to say a huge, huge thank you to each and every single one of you out there that's tuning into this podcast. I appreciate you. And I really want to give a shout out to the people that have been sharing the podcast. It goes such a long way. Thank you for manning it forward. Thank you for giving me a shout out. Um, I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for tagging me in it when you do share uh, share the podcast through Instagram or Facebook uh, or Twitter. I love seeing it and, and I hope that I can give you a shout out back. So I appreciate you. Thanks for sharing it. It goes a long way into getting us into the ears and onto the phones of other people, regardless of what platform you use. So thank you. That's my that's my gratitude drop for the day. <laughs> uh, so without any further ado, I want to bring on Vanessa Van Edwards, and we're going to dive into body language. Thanks for having me. I'm excited, and I know my team's excited, and some of our listeners are definitely excited. So let's get started. Uh, tell us a story about a defining moment that has made you who you are today. Yeah, you know, I joke that I'm a recovering awkward person, which and definitely, definitely still in recovery. And there was sort of a moment where that kind of story or self-narrative flipped for myself. I was in college and college was a little bit of a torturous experience for me because, you know, I, I never rushed sororities or like I was never invited to parties. Like I was that girl who hid in the library and uh, one of my teachers assigned a group writing project, like a group essay project where each person had to do two pages in this 10 page paper. 
And this was like my worst nightmare because it involved, you know, trying to be picked for a group. It involved uh, trying to figure out how to collaborate with other people, which I just, I had no, no skills for it, no people skills. And so I went into his office during office hours and I begged him, literally begged him. I said, I will write double the amount of pages. I'll write 20 pages if I just get to work by myself, um, if, I, if I don't have to work with a group. And he looked at me and very kindly said, you know, Vanessa, this assignment is not about the writing skills. It's about the people skills. That was what he was going for was the, the collaborative piece. And I kind of like looked at him you know, sort of blankly, he's like, you know, in the real world, you're going to have to figure this out. I think I might've teared up, broken down a little tears. You never, nothing gets a teacher more anxious than a, than a student breaking down in tears. Mm -hmm. And so he actually said something that I think changed my life, which he said, why don't you study for people like you study for science? Like, why don't you, just the way that you study for chemistry or math or foreign language tests, why don't you study for people? And I had never thought about that before, um, that you could kind of apply study skills or, or hard skills to charisma or conversation or rapport building or bonding or small talk. I, I always thought those were just things that you kind of like picked up along the way or you were born with it. And so that's exactly what I began to do. I began to create conversation flashcards. I got my my hands on every anthropology, psychology, sociology, human behavior book I could find and studied for people like I was studying for an exam. And that was sort of the start of my journey and then eventually my career in people skills. That's amazing. That's such a cool start to it. And like such a cool piece to, to like learn along the way. And especially that's something that's come out of like your own personal conflict. So I, I appreciate that definitely. And I mean, now, you know, you do some <laughs> incredible work. You, you talk about reading body language, you talk about um, micro expressions and like these different pieces are around understanding people skills and the myths of people skills and, uh, and charisma. And so there's so much that we could dive into today. I think where I would love to start is maybe just some of the foundational pieces around reading body language and helping people understand what are some of the core components that they need to know about reading other people's body language? And what are some of the core components that they need to know about their own body language and what it says to people? Sure. Yeah. So body, yeah, you're right. Body language is one of my favorite topics. I think the reason, reason why we, when that's one of our specialties is because it's very easy to learn. Even if you are not, you're not good at reading faces, you're not good at reading body language. Once you learn the skills, you actually can't not see them. It, it's, um, I, I kind of say it's a blessing and a curse because like once you learn the seven micro expressions, you begin to see them everywhere. Um, so it's, it's, I think it's the easiest place to start. Whenever I'm teaching people skills, I will typically start with teaching someone body language before teaching them verbal communication tactics, influence, or even vocal power. So one of the first things that you kind of want to understand is that we're talking about body language. There's one big goal and it's not right or wrong. So there's a couple of body language people out there. Sometimes you read an article out here and there in like Oprah magazine or something. And it's like wrong body language. Never do X. Always do X, right? Like always power pose and never go into, you know, nervous body language, whatever it is. And that's generally okay. But the problem is, is there's no right or wrong. Like for example, sometimes you wouldn't want to go into pride or power posing if you're trying to show humility or modesty, right? Like that would actually be the wrong body language to do in that particular moment. So what I like to think about is that your body language should be about congruency. So the biggest thing, the best body language, when we see someone, they're like, oh, wow, they're so charismatic. They're so uh, memorable. They're so attractive. What we're actually seeing underneath it all is 
that their words and their body is very congruent. So they're saying, I'm happy, I'm excited. And their body and their face and their voice is showing happy and excited. Or someone says, I'm an expert. And they want you want to look for the, the verbal and the body language to match. They actually are matching that. The reason why congruence is much more important than best or most impressive or, or most memorable body language is because we're trying to fight inauthenticity. So liars, we do a lot of research in our lab on lie detection. And what we do is we'll bring people into our lab and we'll have them lie to us. And specifically what we're doing is we're trying to code their body language for cues. And what we often find is that liars are, they have a really hard time keeping their body language and their words congruent because their mind is taking in all of the, um, like trying to keep the story straight, trying to tell the truth, trying to make sure you believe them. So they forget about their body language. And so oftentimes liars, we can catch them in their lies by looking for leaks of incongruence. So the most important thing for us is to think about how can we align our words and our nonverbal. It almost sounds like this is, you, know, you talked about charisma and, and confidence before. It almost sounds like these are some of the core components is having that congruency is actually going to reflect back to the people that are listening to us that we are confident and that we are a little bit more charismatic simply because we're in line and congruent. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's almost like, so this is really an important concept because exactly what you just said, it's also a backdoor into authenticity. And what I mean by that is we hear all the time, be more authentic, be yourself. And I, I never really understood that. Like I never, you know, I, I didn't know what they meant by it. And um, and there was a movement for a while there uh-huh. where fake it till you make it was sort of what people were kind of going after. And I, I'm really, really against that. I think it is detrimental to our charisma because of this reason. Because what happens is if you, let's say, are really nervous and anxious and you go into an interview and you're trying to fake it till you make it, you're trying to show confidence. So all you do is adopt the body language or the words of confidence and power. What's going to happen is, is there's going to be an incongruence, right? Like there's going to be some of your nervousness is going to leak out and that's going to come out as a lie. So even if that could maybe catch you up, you know, maybe standing in powerful body language could help you feel more confident, maybe. But the worst is that you have confident and then anxious, confident, anxious, and it makes you look flighty, incongruent, inauthentic. It destroys your personal brand. And I think also it's a really bad place internally. Like, I don't know about you, but if I'm really anxious and I'm like faking it, you know, to seem more confident, it feels terrible. Like that's a, it's a terrible place to be. So I am very against the fake it till you make it. I would much prefer um, leveraging sort of our, our existing social strengths. Yeah. I, I love it. And I really love your perspective on that because I think one of the things that I've seen almost like transpire after uh, the whole like fake it till you make it movement was this huge movement around imposter syndrome and a whole bunch of people communicating that they feel like imposters. And it's like, well, duh, like literally duh. Of course you feel like an imposter. You're trying to pretend that you're more confident and that you're somebody that you're not. Of course you'd feel like a fraud. Right. And also people tend to, when they're faking it till they make it, dial so far up that they would never, ever do that anyway. So like, for example, when we we talk about power posing, and by the way, I do like power posing for certain kinds of situations. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but when someone dials up and they're like, I'm going to stand broad, I'm going to stand like a winner. 
then they end up standing up, standing way more broad than they would ever stand naturally. And they're even more uncomfortable. Like nothing is worse than standing at a networking event and trying to claim space when that's just not how you naturally stand, right? Like that, that's going to, that, 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 is really against who you actually are. And then what happens is, is someone meets you for a second time or they bring you in for a second interview or you go on a second date and they're like, wait, <laughs> this person is totally different than the person I met last time. Um, and that's, and that's, I think one of the worst, uh, worst things that you can have during a, a prolonged interaction or a connection you're trying to build. Mm, I love it. So I guess the next question that really pops into my mind is, with this ability to sort of, you know, read people's body language and, and specifically facial expressions, can we tell someone's success or someone's power or, you know, someone's sort of uh, internal confidence just based off of their face? The scientific answer would be yes. However, um, I think it's really hard to consciously do that. So let me um, kind of back up a little bit. There is a really fascinating study that was done at Tufts University. I believe it was Nalini Ambadi. What she did is she took images of Fortune 500 CEOs and she broke these these down, this list down, and she took out the most the un, the recognizable CEOs. So the top 20 recogni- unrecognizable CEOs and the bottom 20 unrecognizable CEOs. Now all these CEOs were successful; they were all on the Fortune 500 list. But she wanted to know if people could tell the difference from the uber successful with just the kind of successful. So she had participants look at the headshots of these CEOs and asked them, who is the most powerful CEO? And what she found was, is that people could accurately pick out the most successful CEOs just based on their face, on their headshot. The trick was, and there always, always a, there's always a catch in these studies, that this only worked if she showed them the images extremely quickly in less than a second. So basically, barely the brain registered they'd even seen a face before she tested them on this face. In other words, our first impressions are extremely accurate, but as soon as our conscious brain kicks in, it messes up our predictions. And what this shows, and one of the things I talk about um, a little bit in my book, there's actually a graphic that I have where they're computer renderings of different faces and they rank them on personality traits. So for example, the, the personality traits that they, they looked at in this particular study was competence, that we actually have different facial shapes for competence, dominance, so um, how alpha you are, and uh, aggressiveness. So if you might be violent or if someone would attack you. And this this is because they argue that our hormones actually change our facial shape. Just a really quick example is men who have very hooded brows, a very uh, prominent brow bone or brow feature, um, tend to have higher testosterone and therefore are there like are more likely to be more aggressive. And so when you look at these renderings, people can, I, I, the, in the book, I have a little quiz to try to guess if you can see, people can accurately guess which are the competent faces, which are the aggressive faces, which are the dominant faces, because subconsciously we can pick up on how our hormones are, are affected by our personality. So my answer is yes, that we, we can tell a lot about someone and their personality and their intentions from a face. However, we aren't always conscious of what those things are. So for example, I couldn't, even though I know this science, I'm very familiar with it. If I was trying to do my makeup or uh, change the way that my face looked to be more competent or less aggressive, I would have a really hard time doing hmm. that. Very cool. I mean, it's it's interesting to to hear some of these pieces that we can integrate on a daily basis, but also 
to understand like how our brain maps other people's facial expressions and then creates an internal, not dialogue, but an internal understanding or label of what that other person is, is like, behaves, et cetera, just because of facial expressions. It, it's, it's amazing. And, and before you talked about the seven micro expressions, can you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah. So um, Dr. Paul Ekman, he's a wonderful researcher. He was my teacher. He is the one who discovered this idea of a micro expression. And we used to believe that when babies were born, they looked at a mother or father's face and mimicked it. And that's how babies learned facial expressions. And therefore it was believed that facial expressions were cultural, right? So like in certain cultures, uh, the expression of anger or sadness was different. But actually what Dr. Ekman discovered is that congenitally blind babies, so babies who've been blind since birth, make the same facial expressions at the same time as seeing children. That was a really big revelation because it meant that somehow our facial expressiveness is coded, is genetic. There's something that tells our face to make a certain expression when we feel a certain emotion, which makes it universal. And that means we can study it. So Dr. Paul Ekman traveled to a couple different cultures. He actually went to a remote tribe in Papua New Guinea and found a tribe that had never been exposed to Western television and uh, found that they make the same faces for the same expressions, emotions as uh, people in the United States. And what he found is there are seven reliably universal ones. These are happiness, contempt, surprise, disgust, fear, sadness, and anger. Once you learn how to read these micro expressions, it's, I, I compare it to like watching the world in HD. Like suddenly you just see things you never saw before. It was an incredible skill for me. It completely changed the way I interacted when I started to see those facial expressions and everything. Personally, um, it helps you understand motivations and intentions a lot more behind your uh, your partner, uh, your friends. Professionally, it helps. It definitely gave me an edge. I felt like in negotiations, pitching myself, um, because when you can read facial expressions, you could be giving a pitch. Like I give presentations and pitches all the time. Let's say that on slide 17, I noticed that investor B made a contempt micro expression. Um, contempt is the simplest of the micro expressions and it's pretty easy to see. So I see that on slide 17. I have a choice. I can ignore it and keep going and hope that I address contempt, or I can give a little bit more uh, social proof around slide 17 and kind of direct it his way. So I will actually modify or adapt kind of back pocket evidence in the moment, pitch it right towards him. And then at the Q&A, I make sure that I've addressed any hesitation from slide 17. And so this it really changed my business dealings, really my bottom line, because it helped me read between the lines. And that's really what facial expressions do. It's incredible. I mean, it sounds like the ultimate form of social intelligence, but also like social ninja skills, you know, like <laughs> you're, yeah. you're really, uh, yeah. you're really allowing, allowing yourself to like read the, read the room in a very different way. But I'm curious in terms of like unpacking some of those micro expressions, which ones are the most sort of important to be able to start to identify? Like, where should we start? Do we start with anger? Do we start with happiness? Like, is, is there one that is more important than the other ones to start to cultivate awareness around? Like, where, where should we start? I would probably start with happiness and contempt. And the reason for that is because happiness has a lot to do with authenticity, which we, was exactly what we started with. So happiness, most people think of happiness as just a smile. 
but anyone can fake smile, right? Like anyone can put a smile on their face. A smile is not the microexpression of happiness. The only true indicator of happiness is when that um, smile actually reaches all the way up into the upper cheek muscles. So only one in 10 people can consciously activate these muscles. But if you want to try it with me, you can put a pen in between your teeth and then widen your lips as wide as they will go. Um, that will probably activate the wrinkles on the sides of your eyes, kind of fondly known as crow's feet. That is the true indicator of happiness when those upper cheek muscles are activated. And again, only one in 10 people can consciously activate them. So with happiness, you're not actually looking for a smile. In fact, if you think that a smile is happiness, you can often be sort of perceived to think, or you, you're persuaded to think that you might be done selling. The, the example I always give is if you're in sales or you're pitching yourself and someone says, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll get back to you on that. that. That sounds great. And they give you that fake smile, you know, you are not done selling, right? Like you are not done yet. Or if a woman, you're at a club and a woman's like, yeah, sure. Um, I'll, I'll give you a call. Right. And she gives you that fake smile. You know, you are not done building rapport yet, right? Like there's no way she's going to call you. So the absence of happiness is actually more important. So what you want to look for is those upper cheek muscles, the crow's, free, the crow's feet and kind of the apples of someone's cheeks being like tense. That's really what you're looking for with happiness. That's, that's the one I would start with. It's the easiest one I think to see. And then the the second one that I would start with is contempt. So contempt, I mentioned earlier, is the simplest of the microexpressions. That's why I usually teach it first. It's just a one-sided mouth raise. So it's hard to teach microexpressions on a podcast, but if you just give me a little smirk, like you raise up one side of your mouth, it could be either side. That's it. That's contempt. It's a little smirk. Contempt is very negative. It's We have a body language quiz on our website where you can guess which, what the microexpressions are. You're welcome to take it. Um, and we've found that contempt is the one that people most often get wrong. Even though it's the simplest, people always guess it's boredom, apathy, or sarcasm. They never guess that it's contempt. That's because we see it in LinkedIn profile pictures. We see politicians do it. But it's a, a real mark of scorn or almost like I'm better than. And so you really have to watch out for it in the work environment, in the romance environment, because the last thing you want is for someone to feel better than you, better than what you're saying. That's how you're going to get dismissed later. Kind of spotting it can prevent a no later. Hmm. Very cool. I, I like that. And I like being able to spot contempt. I think, uh, you know, I used to work for Apple and did a lot of work for them and leadership development and team training and and just dealing with some of the businesses in the surrounding areas. And I think, um, you know, some of these skills were things that definitely helped me in my career, uh, especially starting to identify those moments. Like you were talking about the presentation where the guy showed contempt and just being able to identify that is so, so, so helpful. So I know that we're short on time today, but I kind of wanted to go back to our conversation around developing confidence and charisma, because what, what, what kind of got left for me was the idea that, well, okay, if we can't fake it until we make it, then what do we do? So what do we need to know about body language, about people skills in order to actually cultivate a deeper sense of, of awareness, a deeper sense of charisma and confidence through the use of our body language. Yeah. So I think that one of the things that I teach to replace the fake it till you make it idea is this idea of leveraging social strengths. 
So most people think about social skills as sort of one skill, right? They're like, I'm good with people or I'm bad with people, or I am charismatic or I'm not charismatic. And actually the way that I think about it is there's actually very different flavors of charisma, right? Like not everyone has to be a bubbly extrovert to be charismatic. Most people think that there's only one brand, but actually there's lots. So what I would think about for you and everyone listening is what are your natural social strengths? And I would get as specific as possible. Down to, are you better at one-on-one, groups of three, big groups speaking from stage? Are you good at telling stories? Are you good at making people laugh? Are you good at listening to stories? Are you good at being the easy laugher? Like breaking down specific things that you've found you're either good at in any kind of interaction or that you feel like your best self while doing it. Um, that's how you begin to craft social interactions that leverage your social strengths as opposed to exacerbating your weaknesses. So the big thing for me is in the beginning of my journey, uh, people kept telling me, you know, say yes to everything. I'm an entrepreneur. People always tell entrepreneurs, say yes to everything, say yes to every opportunity. Um, and so I was saying yes to everything. And that was the worst piece of advice I could have been given because I was trying to be something that I wasn't. And I was signing myself up for things that weren't my social strengths. For example, I do really well one-on-one, like in conversations like this, I love like deep diving. I love talking about science. I'm pretty good one-on-one. I am not great in big gatherings of people where I have to break into a new group. I'm not good at the cold approach. I'm not great at like group discussions. I tend to either uh, shut down and not talk at all or try to talk too much because I'm trying to entertain everyone. Neither are good. Um, and so I began to realize that me saying yes to networking events was completely a waste of time because I was going to all these events and maybe making quantity contacts, but none of them were actually turning into business. I was much better off taking that time and switching it to one-on-ones. So instead of if someone said, Hey, like come to my networking event, I would say, Hey, you know, like I'm, I'm busy that night. Would you, would you want to grab coffee during the day on Friday? Um, and changing those networking events into coffees. At first, this made me terrified, right? I was like, oh my God, I'm saying no. I'm never going to meet anyone ever again. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm missing out on all these networking events. But it was the best decision I ever made because I was able to then put all of my energy into one-on-ones, which I was much better at. So I was developing much more quality contacts and I had all this energy back. Instead of dreading the networking events all day, being exhausted the next morning from them, I was actually energized by my meetings and it completely changed my network. So start thinking about your social strengths and leveraging those. That's going to be way more powerful than trying to fake it through something that you don't. Yeah, I love that. And I feel like that's such a good quote right there. Like find your own brand of charisma. You said at the very beginning, And that just hit me. It's like, yeah, you you know, you're right. Mm -hmm. We really do categorize it into uh, I'm I'm either good or bad in social situations. And we just kind of like white label it and leave it at that. So I like that you break it down into, you know, find what parts of social skills you are proficient at because everybody's good at some form of of social skills. Usually it's just one-on-one if they're introverted. And so I really appreciate that. And the final question, because we do have to wrap up the final question I wanted to 
to dive into with you is is around relationships and is around being able to approach or open up a conversation, a tough conversation with somebody. Is there a micro expression that helps us open up the opportunity to connect with maybe a stranger that we're interested in or to connect with somebody that we would ideally like to talk to at a networking or, or community event? Um, there's no micro expression that I would use, but there is a body language cue that I would use, which is the more open your body language, the more open your mind, the more open their mind. That's kind of how you have to think about it. So open body language is basically when you have no barriers between you and them. That includes obviously, you know, your own arms, crossed arms or holding something in front of you, but also it's angling your body so that it's perfectly parallel with theirs. So this is called fronting. It's when you angle your toes, your torso and your head towards the other person. So you're actually literally physically on the same page, right? Like we kind of joke about like being parallel with someone. Um, this is, or on the same page, this is literally getting on the same page. So the more that you can be open to them, so have nothing in blocking you or in between you, but also at physically aligning yourself with them, the more likely it is they're going to open up to you. Very cool. I love that fronting. It's <laughs> such a, such a good one. And, and not a, not a name that I would have expected for opening up conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and easy and a really easy one too. Yeah. So good. <laughs> Awesome, Vanessa. Well, if people want to check out a little bit more about your book, Captivate the Science of Succeeding with People, uh, where can they go to learn more about you, more about your work and the courses that you offer? Sure. So everything is at scienceofpeople.com and uh, Captivate is wherever books are sold. Also, we have a quiz in the very beginning of the book on all seven micro expressions. So you can kind of test yourself before you learn them, which is uh, really fun. Very cool. And the one thing, the, the one thing that I would love for you to leave with people is what is one people skill myth that you would love to abolish faking it till you make it that's <laughs> that's the big one is that is that you don't have to pretend to be someone else's brand of charisma you don't have to pretend to be the bubbly extrovert you don't have to pretend to be confident when you don't feel like it i would much rather you find the people and the situations that genuinely make you feel confident and that let that part of yourself come out. Incredible. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the Man Talks podcast. Uh, for everybody else out there that's listening, definitely go check out Vanessa's book. Go check out the website. Some of the, She's got some great videos on YouTube as well if you're wanting to learn more and dive in. Uh, we've got the links below in, in the uh, podcast episode on the YouTube channel and on the website. So definitely check that out. And for more blog posts, podcasts, uh, and videos from our live events, definitely head on over to mantalks.com uh, forward slash podcasts or blog and check out some of the recent articles and podcasts that we have until next week this is connor beaton signing off and join us for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual 